When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is Gilbert Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast with my co-host, Frank Santopadre. Our guest this week is a multiple Emmy-winning and Oscar-nominated actress and a favorite performer of both Frank and myself. We've wanted to have her on this show for a long time, and it only took being trapped in her apartment to get her. You've seen her work in popular TV shows such as Cheers, Seinfeld, Homicide Life on the Street, Family Guy, Girls, Gotham, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, and and Taxi, for which she was awarded two Emmys for her work as Simka the Blitz, and she can be currently seen as weapons expert Mindy Markowitz in Amazon's new hit series, Hunters. She's also given memorable performances on the Broadway and off-Broadway stage in notable films like Carnal Knowledge, The Last Detail, Annie Hall, The Muppet Movie, Dog Day Afternoon, The Princess Bride, Scrooge, Ishtar, and My Blue Heaven, Sleepwalk With Me, and Hester Street, for which she was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Actress. In a professional career that began when she was just 14 years old, she worked with talents like Woody Allen, Mike Nichols, Elaine May, Steve Martin, Andy Kaufman, Bill Murray, Jack Nicholson, Sidney Lamette, and Al Pacino, as well as podcast guest Steve Buscemi. Ed Bagley Jr., Lee Grant, Richard Donner, Mary Lou Henner, Richard Benjamin, and Peter Rieger. Please welcome to the podcast one of the most versatile and original performers 
of the last five decades and a woman who says that job offers stopped after her Oscar nomination until she was rescued by the late, great Gene Wilder. The fabulous Carol Kane. Well, sadly, our time is up now. <laughs> <laughs> it's a long intro, Carol. <laughs> now, now, I, now, Carol, I guess you remember the first time and maybe only time we worked together. Uh-oh. Oh, 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 yeah. Uh, all I remember about it is that the producers had to separate us because I couldn't stop laughing at Gilbert. He, he just broke me up every second, and they had to they had to separate us, like being bad at school. Yeah, I think it was Billy and Mandy Save Christmas, oh, okay. and we were Mr. and Mrs. Claus. I see, my darling. Uh, <laughs> And and you, uh, I would say something. You'd start cracking up, and then I'd watch you laugh. And yeah. I'd start, And then after a while, it got to that point where, if either one of us looked at each other, we would yeah. double it, over. It could not be done. <laughs> <laughs> he has that effect on people. Does that happen to a lot of people, Gilbert? Oh, oh, yeah. And and it was funny because he did treat us like he said, "Okay, you." Uh, wait outside. We're going to do it one at a time. And it was like talking like two bad kids. We were. Yeah. Carol, just so we don't leave the listeners hanging, tell us about uh, what, what we put in the intro there about you after Hester Street, you got the Oscar nomination. And strangely enough, the phone stopped ringing as a, what people yeah. would, ex- what you would expect would be the opposite reaction. That's right. It was really a solid year where you literally pick up the phone like if you're in love with somebody and and they're not in love with you and you're waiting for the phone to ring and every so often then you have to pick up the phone to see if there's a dial tone, if the phone is working. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But <clears throat> no, uh, it wasn't ringing, but it was working. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> the character that I was nominated for... Giddle. Giddle. Yeah. She uh, was a Russian Orthodox Jew and only spoke Yiddish for the first two-thirds of the movie and wore a shidel, a horsehair shidel, which is a, a religious wig to cover uh, uh, a married woman's real hair for modesty. And so there are not a lot of those <laughs> parts going around. And because, you know, Hollywood did and still does tend to typecast, you know, nobody had anything for me because they thought it had to be sort of that same character or nothing, you know, so it was nothing. And then Gene called, Gene Wilder called me one day out of the clear blue sky and offered me The World's Greatest Lover, which was a comedy. Mm -hmm. I had never done a comedy at all. I had no idea. The, uh, what made him think that I could do it, but he did. He had faith in me, and Mel produced it. And anyway, it, it I think the movie is really good, although it didn't get a lot of <clears throat> it didn't get a lot of advertising because of certain things about when when it came out. 
I watched it yesterday. It it holds up surprisingly well. I hadn't seen it since the 70s. Do you remember Gilbert, the world's greatest lover? Oh, yes. And and also I was going to say now Carol, you came along. Oh, it got well known uh during that the strange and great time of film in the 70s. Yes. I what, was what lucky, a lucky you know what. <laughs> <laughs> Course, and and so you uh you've worked with Al Pacino I think twice now. So, well, um, there again you'd be wrong, Gilbert. Well, okay, <laughs> <laughs> won't be the first time in this interview because um the thing is yes in movies uh, um I did do Dog Day Afternoon with him and then you know lo these many forty something years later uh we did hunters together the tv series but when we first knew each other we also did several plays together at the public theater and in boston and uh yeah so um we did the resistible rise of arturo uli at the public and in boston uh with the great john cazali in both productions oh yeah like great John Cazale. Did you see Pacino originally in a show called, do I have this right, Does a Tiger Wear a Necktie? Yes, I did. I did. Did you? No, but I saw it in the notes, and I, I found it interesting that you said you knew he had something right away. You knew oh, he had God, a certain yes. kind of star quality. Oh, God, yes. From the second he walked on the stage, he, he was, on, I mean, I shouldn't say this because it's not, no, I'm not going to say it, but he just was absolutely mesmerizing whether he was talking or not talking or sitting or moving or he was mesmerizing. That it factor, he had it. He had it in spades and he still does. And what was he like? Oh, by the way, he, um, last week was his 80th birthday. Yes. And didn't Pacino, uh, excuse me, didn't Nicholson just turn 80? I believe I think he Jack, did. I believe Jack is, or maybe you're right. 80 or 85. He just had a birthday. No, I think he's 80. Yeah. Well, I don't know. But yes, I do know that he just had a birthday a little before Al's. Yeah. And you're in a movie that we discussed a few times on this show, The Less Detail. Yeah. With Jack Nicholson. Yes, and Colonel Knowledge with Jack Nicholson. But yes. And, right. and Randy Quaid. Randy Quaid. And it was directed by, again, the late, great Hal Ashby. Tell us something about Ashby. I don't think we've had too many people, Gil, uh, who've been on this show who've worked with Hal Ashby. No. Have we had anybody? I think so. I don't think so either. Well, um, I had been doing a lot of work in Toronto, even though I'm not Canadian, but I did a movie there called Wedding in White with Donald Pleasance. And then I came back to do the PR for that movie. And was aware of the fact that Hal was there scouting for the last detail. And when the publicity ended, then um, they wouldn't put me up at the hotel anymore. But I had a friend, um, Graham Beckel, who was doing uh, Paper Chase, uh, John Hausman. And anyway, he let me sleep on his couch. And I wrote a letter to Hal at the fancy hotel he was staying at and then I just kept my fingers crossed for two three days and then I got a call to come meet him at his hotel which I did and 
he gave me this part. He didn't make me audition anything. And um, and how um, no, he was just such a unique, fantastic personality, and he had this. Uh, thing about him which was sometimes problematical but also just so exciting when you're working with him that if something happened that was funny Cal would just bust out laughing even during the takes so you sometimes you have to do it again <laughs> you know Rob does that sometimes too Rob Reiner but Rob Reiner. It, it's it's very unique for a person to get so carried away and be so free with their feelings as to just let him let him fly, even though they're shooting, you know. And uh, he he was just uh, just a gorgeous, gorgeous artist and and gorgeous gentleman. I know you're a, a film buff too, Carol. As we are, look at those that run of films for Ashby in this in the seventies. I mean, the Landlord and the Last Detail and and Harold and Maud with your friend Bud Court. Yeah. And uh, oh, and Gil, we did have someone who worked with Hal Ashby. That would be Lee Grant in Shampoo. Oh, sure. Oh, okay. Which I, I just, and also in, uh, oh, well, no, I guess Hal was the editor on The Landlord. Uh, uh, I, he, direct, he directed The Landlord. Oh, oh right. Well, with yeah. Bob Bridges. And, and Bob Bridges. Lee was in that, too. Uh, she was so great. That's at right. Both that's stuff. right. She, she was. was. In that. Mm hmm. Great run of films. Gilbert, that's one of your favorites, The Last Detail. Uh, yeah. We talked about I, it on the show before a lot. Yeah. I it's it's from that from the seventies. Mm -hmm. And and the seventies was that time where where they said that the inmates had taken over the asylum. Yeah, well, thank the Lord, right? Yeah. Did you ever read that book, Easy Riders, Raging Bulls, Carol? Yes. Yeah. And, yeah, and it was very like, much out of that period. Yeah. They, they made the kind of movies that wouldn't even be filmed nowadays. Yeah, what what do you what do you mean by that, Gilbert? Well, it seems I like I agree, but I'm not sure why. It, it seems like they were like a film like The Last Detail. They go, "Well, we're just following these three guys around." You know, there's uh, who's going to see that? No. That's right. There's no uh uh, what do you call it? Uh, the, there's no fabulous sets, or uh, yeah, there's not. There's that production value is no. only that it be uh, true, that it look true, sound true, and be true. That was the production value. Well, as a character study, Mo yeah. movies like Panic in Needle Park and mm. and, and, and and Serpico and and a lot of these films that were being made at that time all, all fall into that category. There's no explosions. There's no. no big set pieces. There's no car chases. No. And sometimes there's no, a lot of times there's no big ending. It just kind of Red ends. It just stops. Panic. Yeah. I saw that recently again, and it, it just kind of stops. Yeah. In just the watch it this up, weekend. They're just going to keep going. You don't know where, but it stops. And for me, though, yeah, I just watched it, too. And what I what just about killed me was the scene with the dog. On the ferry. Do you remember that scene? Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. So he kicks the dog out because they want to shoot up, and the little doggy puppy that they just got, it falls off the side of the ferry, the Staten Island ferry. Oh, my God, that, that, and that kitty win, boy. She you know, you're 19 years old, and you're working with Hal Ashby, Nicholson, and Robert Town. It doesn't get much better. And in a, in a way, you're 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 almost, if I'm if I'm correct in saying this, Carol, you're you're too young even to grasp 
the enormity of this and, 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 and who these people are. Of course, they were still building their, 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 their resumes and their legacies. Yeah. Um, maybe I, I think I knew how lucky I was. You did. Great. I was, I was aware of their other work and I had been acting professionally since I was 14. So <clears throat> that was, you know, about five years later. Although last uh, carnal knowledge was before that. I think I was 17 or 18. Mm -hmm. um, Jules Pfeiffer, you know. But anyway, uh, I think that I, I was a tremendous perfectionist uh, to a fault, maybe, as was my idol, Betty Davis. Yeah. And, um, and when I saw the work of these directors and these writers, you know, I read, I read and, and watched, uh, I knew that it was rarefied air. I, I, I knew that I was working wow. with brilliant, brilliant people. And I did. You, you were in a play where you played Betty Davis. I was, that's right. Can, can I put you on the spot? And here you speak as Betty Davis. Oh, God, I don't think you can. Maybe later. Because <laughs> <laughs> if I do it, well, I'll just feel so horrible. So <laughs> but I, you, said, you, I said I'm a perfectionist. Oh, okay. But, but you got to know her, Carol, as you were telling us before we turned the mics on. Yeah, I was madly lucky, uh, but not only lucky, because at a certain point, I lived in L.A., I was doing taxi. And I had to get a, a new place to live. And I saw two gorgeous apartments and very old Eastern looking buildings, red brick, you know, so that you didn't, they didn't feel shockingly like you were in LA. Mm -hmm. and, and, um, and the thing that tipped the scales on which apartment was that one of them was the building that Betty Davis lived in. And and then how I met Betty Davis should I, should I go into that? Yes. Oh, okay. Because uh, it's sort of a miracle how I met her. Yeah, I, please do. I I was moving in, but then like in four days or something, I I moved in. I had to go to Sydney, Australia, to make a movie, and I, you know, was still pretty young and. Um, Anyway, so I moved in, and the next day I went down to the basement and to the laundry room. It wasn't the basement, but it was the first floor of a laundry room. And I was doing my laundry, and in comes a beautiful, dark-haired young woman, and her name was Catherine, and we got to talking, and it turned out it was Catherine Cermak, who I still know, who was Betty Davis's assistant. And I told her, oh, I was going to Sydney and I didn't know anything about where to stay or what to do or any this and that and on and on. Then we go, we finish our laundry. <laughs> we tried it and everything. And then we went upstairs and Catherine, I think she, she peeked into my door and she saw that I had an old Betty Davis uh, uh, what were they called? One sheets that they oh, yeah were sure them. one sheet yeah and it was framed in my apartment even though I had only been there one day and um, so then we say a pleasant goodbye and then 
a little while later, something has slipped under my door, uh, an envelope, a nice sturdy monogrammed envelope. And I open it up and it says, have been to Australia. Maybe I can help come for drinks at six. Betty Davis. Wow. Uh, Can you believe it? I mean, I can't even, it was, it was the most stunning thing that had ever happened to me. I think it was just, I mean, and I was terrified of course, you know, uh, and, but I did, you know, uh, I kind of tried to dial up and get over there. It was literally right next door to my apartment. Was her about that? And I went over there, and she answered the door in a baseball cap, but nice, clean uh, uh, baseball cap, no team on it. A baseball cap, a starch kind of peach-colored shirt, and uh, khakis, Uh, and she looked impeccable. Uh, but it was a whole different look, you know, for Betty Davis. And, um, and then we sat and we had drinks and we talked and Catherine was there. She told me where to stay. And that is where I stayed for three months. (coughs) And it was wonderful. Wow. Yeah. And then can I tell you one more Betty Davis? Sure. Because I love this story. It sort of makes me cry because it's about my dad and my dad is gone now. But, um, he came to visit me in L.A., and he, he came with his wife, and um, we cleaned. And cl- I, I, I said, I'm going to invite Betty over, you know, for a cocktail if, if she'll come. And we cleaned and cleaned and cleaned, and he told me the best, most expensive scotch to get for her and all this stuff. And, um, you know, I'd always seen her basically in her at-home look, you know, so... Doorbell rings, let's say six o'clock again. Doorbell rings. I open the door, and there at the door for my father is Betty Davis with <laughs> fabulous hairdo, perfect makeup, a, a nice tight suit with a belt at the waist, high heels, Betty Davis. And I and she did that for my dad, you know. How nice. Was that the I mean, it kills me to think of that, how kind that was. You know, they always say don't meet your heroes, Carol, because you'll be disappointed. But you had, you obviously had the opposite experience. I had the total opposite experience. How lucky. Did Betty, Davis, did Betty Davis ever give you any career acting or life advice? That you we remember? talked about all kinds of things. But, uh, well, I told you she told me where to stay in Sydney. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> We talked about all kinds of things, but um, it wasn't really career advice. Uh, We talked about everything, but uh, um, not really career advice because she gave me my career advice, which wasn't career advice. It was artistic advice. She gave all that to me in the movies I've been watching since I was a, a little kid. Do you still turn those movies on TCM like we do? Oh, Carol, if you see if you stop on now Voyager or All About Eve, you can't change the channel. No, you must. You just not. get drawn right into it. That's What's illegal. that? It's illegal to change. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Here's Did, another larger than life actress you worked with. If I have my notes correct, Shelley Winters. Yeah. Uh, 
we did uh, uh, the effect of gamma rays in Man in the Moon Marigolds right. on Broadway. And uh, yeah, that was, she was wild and fabulous. You worked and with you, so many greats. You I, worked. I so lucky. You worked for Backstage Magazine. Yes, I did. And I had already done, uh, I, I guess I had already, had I already done the last detail? I believe I had already done the last detail in Carnal Knowledge. Um, and I had various uh, careers like working in a health food store, a candy store. And then at one point I worked stamping envelopes <laughs> at Backstage Magazine. I love and, that. It's an interesting. It's interesting about a, a young actor. You've sort of made it. You're in motion pictures, working with Jack Nicholson and Mike Nichols. Yeah. But you're still going back to a day job. Well, yeah. You know, yeah. don't. I mean, it's notoriously true that uh, uh, many uh, already semi-well-known <laughs> actors or actresses end up serving you your meal. You know. And it, it's funny, like people who would see you on the big screen were probably going, oh, she's in a movie. She must be a billionaire. He may be, but they'd be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I, f I find it interesting that you both started they'd so young, too. They'd still be wrong, by the way. <laughs> What's that? They'd still be wrong. They'd still the be wrong. You both no, started in show business so young. Gilbert, we've talked a lot about how you started on at 15 and got on the stage for the first time. Did you know that about him, Carol? <laughs> I did not. A teenager like you. A teenager. And well, you were 14. What, what was it, Gilbert? I, uh, I, I went, you know, I, was, uh, I was, became interested in showbiz, and I started doing imitations all the time. <laughs> and then my sister Arlene found out about, from some friend of hers, they said there's some club in Manhattan. Oh. Uh, that you write your name down in the book. When they get to your name, they uh, introduce you. And I should know the name of the club, but I don't remember it. And But I remember going with my two sisters up from Brooklyn to Manhattan, and that was the first time on stage. That so we have your sisters to blame. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, you were so brave because the thing is, that's not, I mean, that, that that's just you and nothing else up there. You don't have a script. You, 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 I mean, you haven't, haven't got a storyline that someone else has stamped on you. It's it's all you, right? Yeah, it, it's kind of like, um, yeah, you can't blame it uh, on the script or something. There's, there's an old joke, uh, guys on stage uh, doing Hamlet, and the audience is booing, and the actor says, hey, I didn't write this shit. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. They had someone to blame. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey Gil, Gil, this is a side thing, but since we were talking about Gene Wilder and, uh, and The World's Greatest Lover, and another piece of trivia, Carol, that's interesting, you, you, you were in two movies about Valentino in the same year. You were in Valentino. <laughs> Were they oh, in the same year? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Ken Russell's Valentino, Ken and then Russell. you were in a parody of, about Valentino. Yeah. Isn't in the same year. And, Gil and Gilbert, Carol got to act in scenes in that movie with Fritz Feld. Oh, my God. <laughs> I love Fritz Feld. Loved him. And, and then also uh, in Ken Russell's movie, I got to 
dance with Rudolf Nureyev. But Nureyev, amazing. Fritz Feld like cornered the market on being like the maitre d or the That's hotel right. manager. Yeah, in this one, he's a hotel manager. <laughs> he's the hotel manager. Yep. Right, and he gives you the 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 uh, the, the, the trademark mouth pop. That he was famous for. Gil, Gil, Gilbert talks about Fritz Feld in his documentary. Yes. <laughs> and the audience is scratching their heads. Can somebody what? send me that? Is it possible to see it? Oh, sure. Oh, Dara's nodding. She'll get you one. Dara's nodding. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast. But first, a word from our sponsor. I find this fascinating, too. Carol, going through the research, all the, 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 the famous names, but also the influential artists that you work with. You work with John Cassavetes. I mean, another larger-than-life character. Staggering. And, um, oh, God, he was just so fantastic in every way. And uh, Jenna Rollins, his wife, and his three kids, and... Uh, yeah, um, I, I worked with him on um, two plays, two different plays, and uh, they were both so exciting. One John wrote called A Woman of Mystery, and mm-hmm. it was for Jenna, and I played Jenna's daughter, and Jenna was a homeless person and didn't necessarily accept that I was her daughter. and. So John wrote and directed that, and um, and then we did a play called Thornhill that his friend Mead Roberts wrote, and that was with Ben Gazzara and uh, Patty Lapone and just a great yeah. Ben Gazzara, Gil. Yeah, another oh, favorite ben of Gilbert's. Gazzara. Yeah, another favorite. Another favorite of his. Saint <laughs> Jack was on the other day. That's a good one, Bogdanovich. He, he, you know, that Benny, he was too much, right? You knew all these people. It's amazing that you that you worked with, you know, and, and also so early in your career. Yeah. Still, in your, still in your 20s, you're working with John Cassavetes and, and Sidney well, Lumet. I don't and, think I was in my, I wasn't in my 20s when I worked with John. I was already, oh, okay. Uh, oh, oh, I forgot, I totally forgot. The, 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 the most incredible thing... <laughs> Uh, well, they were all incredible that I got to do with John mm-hmm. was that he and Elaine May had um, written a play slash movie. That I say slash because between the two of them, nobody could decide if it should be a movie or a play. Um, but we worked on it for months and months. And uh, Elaine and I played... Uh, really bad hookers, uh, failing hookers, in that, in that we were so opinionated about who our Johns should be that we never had any work because we never would, we just had too many opinions about them. And, <laughs> That's funny. And, and, and John was in it, and oh, it was so great. And Peter Falk was going to direct it, and then he couldn't, and uh, anyway, it's it's just a wild experience and a great, great, great experience. And and you once injured Bill Murray. Who said that to you? I saw it in a, <laughs> that during Scrooge, 
Uh, you had a pull on his lip? Yes, but but again, it was Shakespeare who made me do it. It was <laughs> <the wife laughs> <and> me. <laughs> nice. Um, the, the, I did, you know, and oh, you know, oh, and I worship him, and I he's so great. But I did, I think, in the course of having to kick him in the groin from a flying position and splatter him with my wings with my back to him in the kitchen where I I really couldn't see exactly where my wings were landing. (laughs) I didn't have a rear view mirror or anything. And then the whole thing with the lip. Anyway, I did hear rumors from Bill himself. (laughs) I think perhaps I had caused him some harm, which I certainly had not intended to do. I'm not one of those actors that likes to get physical even if it's gonna you know but i don't know i guess these were real stunt things and some of them i could do and some of them i guess i couldn't for instance lucky bill i did not (laughs) i did not actually hit him with the toaster right that did did not make contact i swear the stories floating around on the web that Gilbert's uh, uh, referring to, <laughs> Carol, is that you had to pull you had to pull his lip down at a certain point, and you you maybe you yanked a little too aggressively, that, and he was injured. Is that on the web? Yeah, it's everywhere. And, they, and they, they, they say he had to take a few days off. No, <laughs> that's, what, that's what was reported. That's Gilbert uh, uh, annotating. We'll check with Richard Donner. Gilbert, you auditioned for that movie. Yes, yes, I lost to, um, what's his name? To Bobcat. Oh, no, uh, uh, David Johansson. Yeah, you were going to be one of the uh, ghosts of Christmas. Yeah, I think I was going to, I was auditioning as the cab driver. Yeah, that was the buster, yeah. Um, But David, I mean, yeah. And listen, um, but where does this thing on the web come from? Is it Dick Donner or Bill? I don't know. It's floating around. Some di- var- various interviews, or you know, you find the ten uh, these these articles like ten things you didn't know about the movie Scrooge. Oh yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> are, you, Mental are you saying? Are you implying that if the world ever goes back to work, I will never go back to work again? Yes, you've been blackballed <laughs> for injuring Bill Murray in nineteen eighty five or whatever it was. <laughs> <laughs> okay, one of Gilbert's favorites we have to work into the show, yeah. and that is the late, great Sidney Lumet. Yes. Yes. That you God. worked with. Sydney, yeah. Sydney, who is amazing. Okay, well, so, I mean, I guess this is probably floating around on the web. And, uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, the thing with Sydney is that he was also from the theater, and so on, on Dog Day Afternoon, we did something that, I have never experienced before or after in making a movie in that Sydney rented a, a hall above the Second Avenue Deli. There was kind of a big hall there, you know, so they had events and stuff there, but very old fashioned, you know, with the wood panels and and uh, they taped off that hall, the state the AD taped off that hall like you do um when you're rehearsing a play. Uh, they they tape off the stage 
or the rehearsal hall floor to indicate where the bed is and where the door is. And uh, there's nothing there, but it's taped to, to give you an idea of, of the space you're working in. So they did that, and we rehearsed that movie so that we could run it top to bottom like a play. Wow. In a couple hours, we would run from the beginning of the show till the end of the show, i.e. movie. And um, this was so helpful because um, when you get to location, you know, you can never shoot in order. And we, we were that little body of people uh, cramped into that bank, you know, over days. And we had to really understand what the passage of time with no air and with the crowds and the FBI out there. And we had to really all know together of one mind what was happening to us. And because he did rehearse it that way, we, we knew, you know, <clears throat> except, except Gilbert, I have to tell you something. And I hope you won't feel I was cheating on you. <laughs> but... The other laughing episode that nearly killed me in my life was on Dog Day Afternoon because somehow whenever Al locked the cashiers and everybody into the vault, we started. Uncontrollable, <laughs> uncontrollable, and there were like six of us, and it was uncontrollable. And Al is trying to do like a great job as a brilliant actor, a bank robber, a complicated person. And there we just all are. Like, <laughs> and then finally, Penny Allen, who played the head teller, she was so great. She led into us, thank God. And she said, you know, Al is trying to work here. He's trying to do his job. And um, that's shut us up. And it worked. For days, and every time we got in the vault, we couldn't stop. What a movie. You worked also in that movie, aside from Pacino, was an actor who, I think he did only five movies. John Cazale. Yes, and each one was a great movie. I saw you in that documentary about his life, Carol. Yeah. John Cazale. Real heartbreaker. Lost him so young. And I would have to say, and I would have to say because it's true that he was a, a true genius, you know. And in a short career, Godfather, Godfather 2, Dog Day Afternoon, The Conversation, and The Deer, and Hunter. The Deer Hunter. Great body of work. Incredible. Charles Durning, too, we have to ask you about. Oh, yeah. Because he, he's in there, and you did, I think, four or five I think films I did five movies with Charlie, yeah. Uh, the movie I did with Mark Rydell directing called uh, Harry and Walter Go to New York did not have a success, but it had in it Diane Keaton, Charlie, uh, Jimmy Kahn, Elliot Gould. Anyway. <clears throat> Michael Caine. Michael Caine. Oh, my God. I love that movie. People, I'll tell I'll tell our listeners to find that movie. It's on Harry Netflix. And Harry and Walter go to New York. And uh, yeah, so that was the first time I think I worked with Charlie, and then Dog Day, and then we did two uh, Stranger Calls movies together. And the Muppet movie. And the Muppet movie. And 
I think there was actually another one which I'm blanking on, but if it comes back to me, I'll let you know. What was he like? I mean, uh, you know, we love these character actors, Carol. We we gush on this show about people like Charles Durning, right? Like like Jack Warden, Gilbert, or Martin Balsam. Martin Balsam. These great, solid American character actors. We just they, love them. They just show up on the set, and they're always great. Always great. And he, Charlie, was uh, uh, what you call a mensch. Mm-hmm. This guy. Oh, and we did a play reading together not that long before he passed away. Um, he was a mensch. He was, you may have heard or even seen, a beautiful, beautiful ballroom dancer and soft shoe dancer. He was so great. He, we heard that. He was. He had an amazing life. He was a World War II hero and and a ballroom dancer. Played the piano a, too. Yes, and a prize fighter. Yeah. Uh-uh. And great in drama, in a, in a yeah. part like Dog Day Afternoon, or you could put him in a, in a broad comedy like the Muppet <laughs> movie, or you could put it, or a relationship comedy like Tootsie. And he was just oh, great every so time. When Tootsie, oh my so so heartbreaking. And also, I'll tell you, you asked about Betty Davis's career advice. Well, I'll tell you Charlie Gurney's career advice, <laughs> because he gave me some explicit advice. And what it was is I was very young when we were doing When a Stranger Calls, and I had had a, an abrupt success at a very young age, working with the best of the best of them. And then um, I didn't know what to do as to how to pick a role or say yes or no to a job. And, uh, you know, if only I had known then what I know now. But... Anyway, I would torture myself, and I made some huge mistakes, by the way, overthinking and overthinking, you know, uh, just couldn't do, I couldn't decide. So I said to Charlie one agonizing day on the set, I said, Charlie, you know, I, I just can't, I don't know how to decide. How do you decide, you know, what's the next job you should say yes to? And here's what Charlie said. He said, I say yes to the first person that asks me. And that. (laughs) How about that? And here I am, literally sick. I mean, throwing up, anxious, sick, trying to make decisions. I say yes to the first person that. (laughs) You know know a fun performance? Of his that that people don't know about is, is to see him singing and dancing in the best little whorehouse oh, in Texas. <laughs> he he could do yes. it all. And he also was so brilliant uh, on Broadway and the Gin Game, and uh, he 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 just could do any. Gilbert, did you ever meet Charles Durning? Did you ever come up uh, across I, him? I remember one time at the Comedy Awards, I did a bit about how they got uh, Ned Beatty to. Did he know about the rape scene in Deliverance before he accepted the job? And I said, did they at least, one of the lines was, did they at least ask Charles Sterning? <laughs> there is. <laughs> but Gilbert, I want to, can, can I ask you a question, Gilbert? Or am I interrupting? Yes. I'm interrupting. Oh, I just want to, and just hold. Uh, it turns out Charles Sterning was in the audience. And I went over to him, and he said, I would have taken a pot. I can squeal. 
I can't believe it. I almost cut the punchline. Fantastic. That's fantastic. So what, what, what were you going to well, say, I was Carol? just curious because you said when you were so young and you started at a comedy club and it was where you put your name on the list and they call you up. And I just was wondering if you ever ran into or worked at, at the same stage as Andy Kaufman. Uh, I I remember seeing him at the clubs and he'd go on and I remember laughing when he went on stage and he starts singing a uh, hundred bottles of beer on the wall. <laughs> and at first the audience laughs because they think, well, he's not going to sing the whole song. And then he proceeds to sing the entire song. Yes, I went to um, some college performance of his I think it was at a college in a big big old theater like they some of the big old colleges have and he was reading from he used to read the great Gatsby yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I think it was the great Gatsby or it was war and peace or something you know it was and he picked up the book and he began to read and then he read that whole M. Effer book And and people in the audience just little by little, they emptied out. The audience emptied out because, you know, they had not signed up for thinking that this comedian was going to read a piece of important literature for like six hours. You know, that's what he did. And, and you, well, you, I guess you met him or at least worked with him on Taxi. And had, you, had you seen him in the clubs first, Carol? Or, or, or after you got to know him on Taxi, you went to check out the act? I think that I had not seen him. I think that I, once I got the part, uh-huh. uh, then I investigated who he was. Did Jim Brooks seeing you in, in Hester Street somehow lead to you playing Simca? I always wondered that. I imagine it might have had something to do with it. Because of the foreign, speaking the foreign language. Of course. I, I imagine it did, but I don't really remember him saying that. But I think it did, because I didn't have to audition. And um, those were the days when movie actors did not do television. We all wow. looked down our noses at television. And I was the same little stupid idiot that I was because such great writing, right? But then I watched an episode of of Taxi that Jack Guilford was, and I thought, well, all right, if Jack Guilford will say yes, then I'll say yes. And I I did it with much disdain, but then came to understand that that was some of the most brilliant writing you can find anywhere. How about those writers? Ed Weinberger was here with us, by the way, on the the podcast. Yeah. Oh, what did we have him, Gilbert, about two years ago? I guess so. I I lose track. And you (laughs) thanked the right. I think in one of your Emmy speeches, if not both of them, you you thanked James Brooks, Ed Weinberger, Stan Daniels, uh, Ken Esten. You you gave them their due because you were always so appreciative of that writing. Oh, I, uh, you know, it was everything. I mean, Jimmy Burroughs was brilliant, brilliant director as were several of the other people that came on later in the game. But without the writing, you know, you're just a blithering idiot out there, uh, um, like flapping your, your lips or something, because 
that's everything. It's everything that you have to stand on is the writing. Should we and have Jim did, Burroughs here too? Oh, how great. And you remember Gil? Yes. And did you witness any of Andy Kaufman's like hijinks, like uh, causing trouble on the set? Well, I, I'd have to say a complete yes and a complete no to that. And this is why Andy had created Foreign Man, uh, who later became Latka. He had created him way before, and Foreign Man was a, a, a character that he performed in nightclubs and uh, probably, I don't know, everywhere uh, for a long time before yeah. uh, Foreign Man was hired to be on Taxi and turned into Latka. So <clears throat> Andy told them, uh, right up front, that he had certain very strict stipulations for saying yes. And one of them was that he would only do, I think, one more than half the shows, or maybe just half the shows. And the other, and unbelievably important to Andy, was that he would only have to come in Monday for the table read, um, Friday morning for the uh, finalizing the blocking and run through before we perform the show Friday night. So that leaves three whole days of a five-day week that Andy was nowhere to be seen. And um, you could call that um, hijinks uh, because it was certainly uh, very, very difficult for me because I come from the stage, so it's the opposite for me. I like to rehearse, rehearse, rehearse. And Andy felt uh, that knowing himself very well as an artist, if he would rehearse too much, he would uh, lessen the quality of his work. So <clears throat> anyway, then I think maybe the first time that Andy and I had a really big episode together, um, and he still, you know, kept to his contract and wouldn't come in. And um, Tony Danza, he walks in on Friday, and Tony Danza was so angry on my behalf, which nobody had a right to be, really. But he was so protective of me. He got so angry that when Andy walked onto the stage um, in the bleachers, he turned the fire hose on, for real. I mean, a real powerful wow. fire hose right at Andy, who was so shocked. And I think I ventured to say pretty hurt, you know, and, and, and both sides were right. You know, that's why I say yes and no. It, it, you know, it could be considered hijinks that he wouldn't show up, but it was also in his contract. And um, of course, everybody knows the story of when Andy was, hired uh, to play uh, Vic, and, and he oh, came yeah. on the on lot with two actual hookers and was smoking and drinking up a storm, and Andy was macrobiotic. And um, anyway, then he, he got himself fired. You know, watching those episodes, Carol, watching scene skis from a marriage mm -hmm. with you, with the, the, the line that you, of course, you're fond yeah. of. Peel me like a grape so I can get out of here. But uh -huh. the, just the, the, the chemistry between you guys. Yeah. Partic and particularly you and Judd in that scene. 
Mary Lou sends her love, by the way. Mm -hmm. I happened to speak with I her yesterday. It, I told her she send it right back. I will tell her oh. I told her you were coming on with us. And that reminds me, I was just talking again with uh, Jeffrey Tambor, and oh he sends his love. Yeah. As does Peter Rieger, who emailed me this oh week. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's a, oh, it's and, a love fest. Oh, and something uh, Frank and I were watching, and it cracked us both up and was amazing. Uh, you were on the Letterman show. Yeah. Oh, this is her singing backup. Oh, this backup. Is, uh, background, was, right? Did With, I replace uh, Carol King? I think I you did. Yes. And like Will Smith yes. was in it. Um, Dion. Dion, yeah. And there Ellie was Brown. I. Uh, Knowing nothing, but you know, I had just done a movie with Paul Schaefer called The Lemon Sisters, and there was a lot of music in the movie. And Paul and his band uh, taught us all the music, and Paul was the musical director. So, uh, and I at that time used to do Letterman, I was so lucky to do it, you know, not infrequently. And then so I think Paul came up with the idea that when Carol King dropped out. I should stand in for her. <laughs> it was a great joke. Was an amazing group of yeah. people. Again, uh, so lucky, you know. I don't know how I get so lucky. Here, here's a question that I have for you, Carol. Uh, we we told you we have a couple of questions from listeners oh, yeah. who do this thing called gr Grill the Guest. Now, here's a memory for you. Mark Harriman says, does Carol remember being in a cult classic called Pandemonium? Oh, of course I do. With the great Phil Hartman. Uh, Pee Wee Herman, Paul Rubens, uh, the wonderful Eileen Brennan, yeah, Eileen, and Tommy Eileen Smothers. Eileen Brennan, Tommy Smothers. And Squiggy, David and L. Lander. David. What a <laughs> and Tab. And Judge Reinhold. And Tab Hunter. And Tab Hunter, right, who we would love to have had on this show, huh, Gil? <laughs> oh, my. That, so many of those names that we go, oh, God, why didn't we have him on? Well, we keep trying. We finally got Carol. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so nice of you. Well, you know, I didn't mean not to do it before. It's just that I had a little, and, and it doesn't happen a lot in my career, I had a little busy streak, thanks to, I, I did, you know, and it was all thanks to Tina Fey. And then from that, somehow, uh, Hunters came along, even though it was completely the opposite uh, type of work. It's a drama, as you know. Uh, and I auditioned for that, but I didn't audition for Tina. But anyway, so those two things kind of backed up to each other. And it was during the course of that that I, I think you had asked me, but I literally couldn't do it at that point. But now that we are all unemployed. <laughs> <laughs> You know, Carol, I loved your auditioning story. I heard you tell this story on another show about how uh, disturbed you were by the experience of auditioning for Wick. Was it no, Wicked? No, Wicked. I got Wicked. Not I, Wicked. It was it was something you were auditioning yes, for. You didn't Pippin. get it. Pippin, excuse I, me. It was it was Pippin, and then it, it was it was one of those great stories for actors of how a door closed, but but other doors suddenly flew open. Well, they didn't fly open, actually. <laughs> Oh, no. I had been doing it. I mean, if you want to, do you want to hear the real story? Yeah, it was yeah. touching. Okay, so I had been doing Wicked already for like close to four and a half years, and it was in my last nine months uh, of Wicked, which was the tenth anniversary. 
that they started to put together um, the new version of Pippin. And um, I, you know, came over like between a matinee and an evening, and I had been told that all I had to do was prove that I wouldn't be frightened to do the trapeze work. And it was a miscommunication. But anyway, so I went in, I did the trapeze, and I actually really loved it. And then I went away, and then I was told that I had to sing and do scenes and do all that. Um, and meanwhile, I had to, you know, prepare while I was doing the other show. And anyway, it took me too long. And the genius Andrea Martin got the part, as well as she should have, because she was just spectacular, right? So, um... Anyway, then um, I was auditioning on and off. They kept saying, your audition's in two months, it's in three months, it's in six months. Anyway, it just got to be, it, it went on for a long time, which wore on my nerves because mm -hmm. each time, of course, I got more and more insecure, you know, that I, after all this time, I wouldn't deliver. And I kept working with a, a singing coach and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, when I finally got to audition, um, I thought it went okay. And I think, and I think that was a twofold thing. I think it was because the wonderful um, Steve Freeman, who was teaching me how to sing, made me feel so proud <laughs> of my singing that I actually thought it was all right, which apparently it was not. And um, also because they stood up and applauded at my audition and so you would think it went well uh, <laughs> anyone would, yeah, anyone yeah. would. So, so i thought it had gone quite well i went home and i got that call that we as actors have gotten so many times in our lives and when you've been doing it for 52 years or something this call this call gets wor to me worse which is you know they went another way or uh, they just didn't feel that you were exactly right, or they, whatever you, they say. It's a version of, yeah, you fucked up and you didn't get it. I don't know. If, are we allowed to swear on this? Yes. No. I would have been swearing so much more if I had known that. <laughs> I was like a sailor, but I was trying to be judicious. Oh, we encourage you to swear, Carol. All right. Well, anyway, that's what, that's what it really means is that you, you know, weren't good enough. That's what it means in your being. And I just felt like, okay, I can't do this anymore. I cannot afford to audition anymore because I was literally, and you're going to think I'm out of my mind, but I was just like crawling around my apartment sobbing. And I thought, it's too late for this in my life, you know. And uh, so I vowed that I would never audition again, not because I thought that I was too good to audition, but because I didn't think I could survive it. And then I right away got two jobs um, that I didn't audition for. And one was Gotham, the other was Kimmy. But I think it was a good solid year between Wicked and those other jobs. Okay, so they didn't fly open, but they did open eventually. They creaked open. <laughs> and yeah. I, and yeah. I dove in. 
are are you someone when you watch yourself if you do watch yourself do are you sitting there going oh god why did i do it oh, that uh, way? of course i want to set the record straight about something before yeah. we start again you can all just go fuck yourselves if you think i'm gonna say fuck again <laughs> 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 uh, you know what made that even better, Carol? As you said that, the little dog with the cute face, your dog, was in the frame. Nice <laughs> show. It, 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 it was such a nice contrast between the sweetness of the dog. Gilbert, you were asking me about when I see things, do I... Am I horrified? Why didn't I do something else? Or Yeah, and even recently I, I uh, screened a movie that I'm in that I did right before the shutdown. And, you know, I see a scene and I think, I know exactly the right choice now. I know, I know that this, this is a horrible choice. I know the right choice. This is six months later, you know, but yeah. Uh, you're, I, you must be a perfectionist, Carol. Yeah, I am a perfectionist, but I... I've calmed down um, since I was young because I realized that sometimes when you're a real true perfectionist, uh, it comes out of other people's hides. Um, it's hard on other people. And the older I get, the more I realize that it is this, the experience, the day-to-day -day experience uh, when you're collaborating with people, it's just the day-to-day -day experience that matters because no one, you can't control the outcome of anything, but you can control how you treat other people. Gilbert doesn't like auditioning either. So I think you're, you're, yeah. you're, you're both in the same. I, I got better at it years you later. But uh, yeah, I got better years later. I remember... The first couple of years of auditions, I would go, like, what am I in this business I for? I have no, no talent. I know. It's torture. I think it's torture. And, and also, and yeah, also it, not only is it torture, but it is truly not representative of your work. It's an audition. And that's a whole other animal than, you know, working to, to understand something and deepening it and... It's a whole other animal. And I heard, I've always heard this, these actors who are great at auditioning and I'll get the part, uh, but then they, their part, their acting won't improve any more than the audition. Yeah, I've, I've heard like, that, but I... <laughs> it's, it, it's interesting too, though, Carol, at a, at a point where you said, that's it, you kind of made a life decision. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to subject myself to this I anymore. Oh, but right, but also then two parts showed up that you didn't have that to audition two for. Parts, kinda, which, there's something there's something about yes, that. The, and and that and that took me uh, for another four and a half years, and then sadly when Kimmy was canceled, um, well it was I meant uh, we were so sad when it was canceled, but then uh, I read this gorgeous material called Hunters and. And I was told that everyone had to audition, and I, I was crying. My manager called me and told me I had to audition. I was crying, but I decided it was worth it, and I, I actually got it, which I don't know how that happened, but it did. Gilbert's hooked on that show, Gilbert and Dara. 
They love and it. the children. And Max. <laughs> yes, yes. And and both our kids who are 10 and 12 are fans of Thank yours. Thank you. That is so <laughs> sweet. How nice. And Gilbert, my what? cats are fans of yours. <laughs> <laughs> They're about the only fans I have. We love Saul Rubinek, oh, too. Yeah. Another, oh. a, another great character actor who you pl- plug into anything. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that show has a lot of great uh, Also, uh, Dylan <gasps> Baker. Oh, Is another he frightening one. in that? Oh, my he God. So Scariest villain. <laughs> Dylan Baker played arguably the bravest role in the history yes. of motion pictures in that movie, yes. Happiness. Yes. <laughs> you, you know, that's a type of thing you have to think seriously, will I work again if I do this? Because it's so despicable. And and it's the funny part about it, the performance he gives, it's like he's somehow sympathetic at the same time. He's a child molester, and yet there's there's a humanity that Dylan Baker. Oh, such range! Uh, I have to ask you about some of these other wonderful directors, Carol, that we didn't mention: Milos Forman, Mark Rydell, Gus Van Sant, uh, uh, Rob Reiner, Ken Russell, uh, the great Herbert Ross, hmm. my blue, blue heaven, heaven yeah. um, and Ishtar, a movie that Gil- that and Ishtar. A movie that Gilbert and I like. I like it too. And Paul Williams has been here, and we are big Elaine May mm-hmm. fans. And uh, I want to defend Ishtar again. Good, good. <laughs> I, think, I think it's wonderful. I don't know why they. I don't know. Maybe it was that thing about uh, like Heaven's Gate, where they they think you've spent so much money that I, I don't know. I, I don't. Understand. I think. The press was out to get, I don't think it was personally against Elaine. I think the press was out to get Beatty and Hoffman for some reason at that time. That seemed who they were grinding the ax against, but so good. It's got so much going for it. Hoffman is uh, one of two actors you've worked with that gets the reputation, him and Pacino get the reputation of being difficult. Uh, so I, I want to know if you experienced any of that. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And, you know, I just worked with Al, and Al, as as I am, uh, is creeping up in age. And <clears throat> if he ever had a, a right to be difficult, now it'd be <laughs> and, uh, not at all. <clears throat> He's a, an ensemble player. I was thinking the other day, as we're not seeing Jack Nicholson on the screen, uh, anymore, and, and so, so, so many of these actors mm-hmm. have started to, Gene Hackman is another one who stepped mm-hmm. aside, that somebody like Pacino is still out there grinding and doing these great performances one after the other. And I, I was turning to my wife and I said, we have to be grateful for this guy. Oh, yes. And, De Niro, well, too. I was going to say, and Robert, you know, and by the way, that's my bucket list is to get to work with Robert and Marty. Uh, I'm throwing it out there. <laughs> oh, Gilbert, you have it over, Carol, because you got to work with De Niro. Uh, I, yeah. What was was Gina Conti? She hates you. Was no, it? no, nobody, nobody saw the film. <laughs> was it? It still counts. I don't think the cameraman saw the film. Uh it was uh, uh, 
Robert De Niro, he was in a movie called The Comedian. Oh, I saw The Comedian. I really liked it. And and uh, Danny was in it and Lucy DeVito was in it. Yeah, I liked it. And and I was in it as, as Gilbert Gottfried. Right, I'm sorry, Gilbert. <laughs> you stole the show. <laughs> My most difficult role. Yes, you, you did get to work with him. Well, Scor- Scorsese says good, we, we've got... Put a good word in for me, Gilbert. <laughs> Gilbert, don't we have it on good authority from Griffin Dunn and, and Ileana and Rosanna Arquette and other friends of, of Scorsese's that you're his favorite comedian? Yeah, I'm his favorite comedian. Martin Scorsese's favorite comedian. And quick, name any film, any Scorsese film I've been in. Weren't you in Kundun? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, yeah, maybe there just wasn't the role for you. <laughs> this is how a nice actor story, how about too. Being, how about living your the rest of your life knowing that you are Martin Scorsese's favorite comedian? That, that, I think you might as well just hang up the, the headsets. I'd rather be in this film and have him think I suck. (laughs) (laughs) Gilbert, he's still cranking him out. You get your chance. (laughs) Carol, this is a sweet story, uh, uh, one actor uh, to another. Uh, When you didn't, you were nominated for Hester Street, which we talked about in the intro. Um, but you didn't win, I believe, Louise Fletcher won for uh, for for Cuckoo's Nest as Nurse Nurse Ratchet. But but you got a phone call from somebody. A nice phone call and a lunch invitation. And that's a nice story. And it's and a side of the man that I don't think we hear a lot of. Well, okay, the man we're talking about is Jack Nicholson. And I have many stories equally kind uh, about Jack. But the story you're talking about is I was uh, 23 when I got nominated. And Jack had been nominated and won or lost, you know, over the years. And he knew what that whole process, award season, what that whole thing feels like. I had no clue. I mean, I was shocked that I got nominated. It was a beautiful movie, but it cost 470000 or $375,000, you know, black mm-hmm. and white and everything. So I, I did go out there um and I stayed at the Beverly Hills Hotel and did press. And you, I mean, you are like a queen when you're, people can't do enough for you. There, you have to get a second room just to put your flowers in. I mean, I'm exaggerating, but you know, you, you, the phone never stops ringing, never. So then comes the day or the night that is of the awards and, um, I didn't win. And again, the phone story, like I, I wake up in the morning and have to test whether there's a dial tone. Because, because, uh, because it, you could hear a pin drop. It feels like all my flowers have wilted. <laughs> I mean, that's how bad it is. It's so quiet, right? The phone rings once at about 11 in the morning, and it's Jack who did win the night before. And he calls me Whitey. He nicknamed me that uh, during Colonel Knowledge. And he said, you know, Whitey, uh, 
Angelica and I are going to have a lunch at El Cholo's. Want to come with? I'll, I'll, go by, I'll come by and pick you up. So he did. He came by, he drove to the hotel, picked me up. We went downtown, just the three of us, had the loveliest, sweetest time. And I, I, it was so unbelievably empathetic and kind of him because he knew what that next morning was like. He knew what it was like. He remembered, and he wanted to soften the blow for me. Isn't that nice, Gilbert? Yeah, it, it's kind of funny. It seems like when when someone's nominated, they're, they are really important. And, and then quickly you become not someone who didn't win, but a loser. <laughs> That's right. You can and, bypass the didn't win and go straight to loser. <laughs> and and they're in such a hurry to talk to the winner that there's they trample over oh, you trample over you. and you can't get your car you know in the ceremony <laughs> like you you you're out there till three in the morning waiting for your car <laughs> no i'm I'm kidding but it there's a big difference <laughs> i I think it's always kind of sweet when someone takes the stage when a winner finally takes the stage to make their speech and they thank or at least acknowledge the other nominees in their category I agree so nice it's it, there's something nice about it because they're include they're being inclusive about it it's not like okay you'll never hear those names again it's, now it's fair you know people have said they think you did an exceptional job if you get nominated. But then between, you know, the five or six people's exceptional jobs, you know, it's 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 slightly uh, hit or miss as, as to who got the most votes or didn't quite get the most votes. Or, so it's, I think it's fair to acknowledge your fellow artists because also just think of the many brilliant, brilliant performances every year that don't get seen and don't get nominated because they... They didn't have a big studio behind them and they didn't have the money to spend on press. And, uh, you know, you, you see incredible performances every year that get no acknowledgement at all. I remember Dustin Hoffman, when he won the Academy Award, I said, I refuse to accept that I'm a better actor than, and he named right. all That's the other perfect, people. That's perfect, right? That is yeah. perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, nicely done. Another sweet story too, and you know, this is obviously we know this is this could you know it can be an unkind business at times. But you were seventeen when you went off to shoot Carnal Knowledge, and Mike Nichols was another person at a, at, a, at a at a kind of a key moment in your life that that said something very kind to you, said something that you never forgot. Yes, and this what he said to me was a part of his genius. Um, I was such a nervous wreck, you know, and they had been shooting already in Vancouver. So <clears throat> a kind of a family had formed uh, between Mike and Candy and Jack and Artie and Jules Pfeiffer and the, you know, the, the crew and, um, and Thea Silbert, Dick Silbert. And then I come in from nowhere and known by nobody. And, uh, then I have to just walk on a set the next day with all these powerhouse artists. And, you know, I just was so nervous. And I, I said, Mike, I, I, I'm just so uh, worried. I'm so nervous. And he, he said, 
why is that? And I said, well, I'm just, you know, afraid that I, I won't be able to do what you need or be who you need me to be or whatever. And he said, you are absolutely perfect for this part. You, you can do no wrong. You are absolutely perfect. And I believed him. And he meant it, by the way. And because he meant it, that was what happened. He made actors better by believing in them to that degree that they, they were brave for him. They wanted to be brave for him because he was so loving and also such a great artist at the same time. What a great attribute for a director you know, to, to make actors feel so wanted. I think that it is... If there is a magic trick with directors, I mean, it's not a magic trick. It was more than, more than, more than genuine. But if anybody asks me what makes the difference between a good director and a great director, that might be one of my answers. It's a director who believes in you. Of the list of directors I was raving about here, too, I don't want to leave off our, our friend Richard Donner, who did the show, but also Joan Mickle-Silver. Oh, yeah. Uh, Gilbert and I are big fans of Crossing the yeah. Yes. So, yes. Wonderful. Somebody else who get who you know you clicked with early. Yes, and and your career. and uh, and then uh, Amy Irving, of course. So, mm -hmm. Sylvia Miles, the late great Sylvia. We just yeah. lost. We have well, to ask you about something that's important. I, too. I, I was ahead, just going to say Crossing Delancey Street is one of those. Uh, romantic comedies, that's not like a goofy. Rom romantic comedies are usually like goofy. Yeah. And they're uh, exaggerated. And, and or they're formulaic. Or they're formulaic. Yeah. yeah, but Joan, yeah. she's such a good writer. She That doesn't happen when she puts pen to paper. She made a great short, Bernice Bob's yeah. Her Hair, with Shelley yeah. Duvall. See, our, our, our listeners should find that and too. And Court. And Bud Court. Absolutely. Seek, seek that one out. And I'm also going to recommend a movie called My First Mister uh, with, with you and, and, and Albert Brooks, directed by Christine oh, thank Lottie. thank you. Also, uh, which our listeners. But we have to ask you something, Carol, that I found in my, in my research that is near and dear to Gilbert. And that is interesting about the character that you play on Kimmy. And she's a, she, she's a character who fights against gentrification. She's somebody who loves New York City, and that is near and dear to you yeah. personally. Because she's sort of like a Jane Jacobs kind of a uh, – but, but um, that's important to Gilbert and to me, and it's something we talk about, the loss of neighborhoods, the loss of old New York, the loss of movie theaters, the loss of bookstores, yeah. the, 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 so much of the city losing its totally. identity. Just, you know, you, 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 you go down a subway uh, up Upper West Side, you come out in Soho, and it's you're in the same place. You see the same stores, you see the same, you know, pharmacies and banks, and you're just in the same place. Used to be when you got on the train, you'd hop out in a different world, you know, different. There used to be these junk stores mm. that didn't, you know, they had a little bit of clothes, a little bit of... Uh, Razor blades. You mean odds and ends stores or like yes, five yes. and dimes? Brooklyn. Yeah. And and I could walk around those for the day. Yes. Well, there were book and record stores that you could lose a yeah. day in. 
Yes. Just go in and look through soundtrack albums mm-hmm. or just look, just, just, just go into, a, you know, you know, use bookstores or. Yeah. Uh, so, so much of it. And, and, you know, we've lost Roseland and we've lost the Ziegfeld and I could go on and on. And, uh, you know, I, I assume that, that going to the movies back, because you're such a movie buff like us, that going to the movies and having that experience, you mentioned Young Frankenstein. That's something that I saw in the movies with my dad. Yeah. And that experience, especially now with them being threatened by what's going on. But I, 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 I hate to think that we're going to lose so and, much of and, that. Of, and of also that. all the little art houses, you know, are just either have died or, or, or are seriously ill, you know. Almost all of them. Well, we lost the Lincoln Plaza yeah. cinemas recently and uh, the Thalia. I remember with, like, movies, I'm talking like it was 5,000 years ago, and it feels like it, that that moment you're sitting in the chair waiting and you sense that the lights in the theater have just gone, like, a shade darker. Yeah. And you go, oh, the movie's going to start yeah. now. Yeah, so exciting. And they... I don't think there used to be like 45 minutes of trailers before the movie. No. <laughs> you, finish no. Popcorn, you finish your popcorn and you haven't started the movie. Yeah. <laughs> I've mentioned it on the show. It's kind of a downer, Carol, but I was in L.A. for a number of years and I moved back to New York in 2003. And I think I've I think I've seen about 20 theaters shutter Manhattan since I since I got back. And that's only 17 years. I wonder what will happen know. now and, and it, because of COVID. I don't know. Well, it breaks, one of the things that <clears throat> might be lost, I don't know. Let's, Let's hope Because that Gilbert Scorsese picture needs to be seen with an audience. <laughs> <laughs> so the Kimmy Schmidt movie, uh, Kimmy Schmidt versus the Reverend, I guess is what it's being called, uh, premieres uh, on Netflix on May 12th. So when you hear this, it will already be streaming. And it's so much fun to make because it is an interactive movie, which I had never heard of or seen. But you get to choose, each audience member gets to choose between three endings in each scene. Oh, it's like Clue, Gilbert. And and (laughs) like like Mr. Sardonicus. Mr. Sardonicus, yeah. (laughs) I don't know, but... uh, but and then and then so you 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 get an entirely different story. You can get uh, all four of our stories all different ways. So you can watch this thing a million times and never have it be the same twice. I, I, love I think that. It's so much that's fun. A, that's a great gimmick, Carol. This was a lot of fun. Oh, thank you. And we'll when I say the good night, I, I'll need you for two quick things. You wanted to say the F word again, Gil? I, no, I, I okay, I want that twice. on the show. <laughs> I the last thing I wanted on the show is can you it would be an honor if you would if you Carol Kane would say, Gilbert, go fuck yourself. Right. Here's what I'm gonna say. Gilbert, go F yourself. No, you have to say fuck. three times in one show. Plus, you know, Gilbert, I don't know if you noticed, but there are young people here with you. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah, okay. Gilbert, class up the Gilbert, joint, will you? Go fuck yourself. Thank you, Carol. That That is an but honor. That's, that's, I that's have an a- exchange for you putting in a good word with Marty and Bob. 
<laughs> Gilbert, can you do that for her? Yes. <laughs> oh, because me and Bobby. So anyway, this has been Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast with my co-host Frank Santo Padre, and we have had the wonderful Carol Kane and Daddy. What's the dog's Johnny. name, Carol? Johnny. We can see Johnny waving. Carol, you've had the kind of career where we could go on for six Aww, hours. Thank you all for being so kind and fun. And uh, <clears throat> I'm sorry for my swearing. <laughs> it was one of the best parts. It's from, you know, it, it's from the last details from hanging out with sailors. Uh, oh, that's right. <laughs> last question. Did you work with Richard Kind and Larry Storch in Sly Fox? I did. There you go. How about How that, Gil? And, and Arthur Penn. Arthur I, Penn directed it. Arthur Penn, another great director. I heard with the last detail, just to have it ready for TV afterwards, the, all the cursing, when they curse, they turn their head from the camera to make it easier to put in clean I words. I think that's true. But I'm glad you... Uh, just, just... Oh, okay. I mean, I'm not, anyway. I'm not an authority, but I can't imagine how saying to any of them, turn your head away for the camera so we can loop it without swear words. That's just not him. That is not him. Watch the, watch the movie again, Gilbert. You can see Hal Ashby at the bar. Yes. Oh. I, saw, I noticed it okay, last night. Okay, so can we have an ID where you say, I'm Carol Kane, and you're listening to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing Colossal Podcast. Yes. But do it any way you want it, Carol. Yeah. I'm Carol Kane, and you are listening to Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast. And can you say Amazing Colossal Show also? Just Amazing Colossal Amazing Show. Amazing Colossal Show. Good. We'll sew that together. Carol, that, you're so kind and so generous to give us all this oh, time. Oh, it's been really fun. We loved going down memory lane Thank with you. Thank you. It's been really fun. Thank you both for being so kind. And Dara, thank you. And and the kids and uh, John. And thanks to your man. Thanks to your manager again, Donald. Okay, I'll tell him. And thank you to John Murray as thank always, you, John. our guru. Thanks for saving me, even though I didn't have no headphones or nothing. <laughs> Bye, Bye, everybody. Be uh, you know, uh, fascinating transition. Yeah.